Welcome to another edition of Inside the War Room. Ryan Ray here, as always. So good to have you. Today's guest is, as you saw in the headline title, whatever, Desmond Shum, author of Red Roulette. Chinese billionaire escapes China. We talk about kind of his childhood growing up um, and ultimately what happened with his ex-wife now and what's happened since the book was released, which is quite interesting in and of itself. Before we get to that, let's talk about a couple of things. First, Ryan recommends I'd been reached out. I had, had been reached out. They reached out to have Desmond on the podcast. On the same day, I was reading Bill Bishop's newsletter, which is the premium number one top undisputed champion of the world, the goat of goat China pod, uh, not podcast newsletters. Um, so I'll link to that below. That is Ryan recommends because of course, Bill covered the book in his newsletter. So it was kind of funny. I was preparing for the interview or scheduling the interview at least. And here is Bill Bishop, of course, as always days ahead of all things China. So be sure to check out his newsletter. I will link that below. Um, I don't, I used to have some free, um, a couple of free passes. I don't think I have any more. If I do, I'll put those down there as well, but be sure to check out Bill Bishop's newsletter it comes out four times a week. And then an open thread on Fridays. Seriously, it is the best stuff on China. There is at least from the English speaking perspective. Uh, maybe there's some more um, you know, Mandarin or something that I, I can't read, but as far as English, it's the best. Um, with that being said, sponsor time. Cheesy face, right? Okay. For those listening, you missed all that, but whatever. Um, let's talk about our sponsor, which is Bluehost, who hosts all of my podcast is Bluehost. I'll give you $2.95. How about that? Okay, I'm not giving it to you. They are. Whatever. Don't let the facts. RyanRaySenior.com slash hosting. That's R-Y-A-N-R-A-Y-S-R.com slash hosting. Register today. If you do, send me a screenshot of you checking out using my code, and I will give you a promo on this podcast. There you go. It's that easy. We'll cut out a little time to promote your website or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and so be sure to use my link, RyanRaySenior.com slash hosting. Now, the thing about this guest and this interview and this book is that you don't get a lot of dissidents of this stature coming out from mainland China or Hong Kong, right? Um, you get some, but not this level. And the thing that's so important is whatever you want to think about the book or what was said in the book, the CCP responded in a way. So his wife, who's been kidnapped for four years, I believe, was released briefly when the book came out so for all those that say the ccp didn't care about world uh, you know anything outside its borders or press or media whatever that's hogwash they do here's proof two the fact they released this lady for at least a few days we'll see what happens um is an astonishing <laughs> turn of events and um hopefully she'll get a full release obviously it's a terrible situation feel bad for their son who may never see his mother again and so um Anyways, just it's a, it's a fascinating story. Pick up the book. I'll leave a link below in the show notes. With that, let's get to my interview with Desmond Shum. Well, Desmond, it's lovely to have you on the program. How are you doing? Very good, very good. Well, as good as I can be, I guess, these days. <laughs> so much things happening. Well, yeah, so let's get into that. Um, we talked about the book in the introduction. but um, and, and so part of the book's premise is that you're uh, ex-wife went missing. We were supposed to record on Monday. Today's Thursday because over the weekend she reappeared is what the word is. What what happened? 
Well, what happened was, uh, well, my book came out on Tuesday. I picked the day because it's almost to the date of uh, disappearance. Mm -hmm. And then on last Friday, uh, Wall Street Journal and Financial Times uh, both carry a story of my upcoming book and, and uh, you know, and, and the story of her, her missing. And on Saturday, um, well, Saturday their time, uh, she reappeared. I mean, she she um, she called my cousin, she called my mom because in the middle of night uh, for me in England. And, um, um, you know, they I, I got my phone off overnight. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, my, uh, my mom and then so my cousin uh, messaged me, said, you know, Whitney has uh, has called them and they asked me to call her back. And I mean, obviously, I, I, I wake up very early that day, just, you know, how to sleep, you know, with all these things happening anyway. So I wake up five, five something and I, 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 I got the message. I, my, my drawer, they, you know, dropped to the floor and I call her around six, um, you know, and then uh, apparently they, what happened was uh, from what, you know, cut me, cut me short if, uh, if I'm talking too long. Uh, what happened was uh, they put her on a, well, this, this is all what she told me. She signed a paper of temporary release. So she let, uh, they let her out on Saturday, the, uh, Beijing time. And, um, and then she, she made contact. Now in the book, I'm trying to see here, you mentioned the department that you think was responsible for her kidnapping. Do you, I'm trying to, it's early in the book, I don't have it underlined, but um, do you still think it's that part of the, the CCP who's the one responsible? Did she give you any any indication about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's no doubt about it. I mean, she she was first put um, restricted to travel outside of country six months prior her uh, abduction, and at the time she was uh, disappeared by the state. Uh, three other colleagues of hers also were taken, and those ones, uh, 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 none of them, uh, all four of them, none of them ever been charged. So those ones reappear sometime early last year. So they basically went into a dark cell for three years, reemerged, never been charged and released. She came out like the day after the the, the story broke on you know Financial Times and um, uh, and the Wall Street Journal. So let's talk about kind of leading up to this event. In the book, you kind of retrace your your childhood, uh, going to the Big Ten, swimming, um, kind of moving around mainland China to Hong Kong. Uh, and in the book, you you talk about not only you know what it was like to kind of grow up under Mao from your perspective, how your parents, how they saw what was happening, and that's one thing that I think Americans have a hard time trying to grasp is trying to project what a person in mainland China or in Hong Kong thinks about the government. And so maybe unpack that because um, as I'm going through the book, I'm I'm thinking about what your parents said and and how that has to be tough to go through the business world knowing that there's these boundaries and this corruption and stuff. So what was it like growing up under Mao? Um, you talked about the day you died. What was that like? Um, and, you know, how did that impact your decisions in, in life and business? You mean par my parents' uh, experience? Well, yeah. So, yes. Yeah. My parents, well, I mean, as I, you know, talk about in details in the book, um, my parents had a very tough well, I mean, everybody has it tough under the Cultural Revolution and the Mao. Um, it's must, especially tough on my, my father because his family is categorized as the black category. 
which is like sort of a cast into the bottom of society because uh, my grandfather was a uh, was a lawyer uh, prior to uh, the Chinese communist takeover of China and so you know he was uh, very early on as he was a teenager you know their family was driven away from their home in Shanghai, you know, driven to a city, which is probably at that time, a three hour train ride. Um, and then he was left uh, alone at, uh, in Shanghai because he was attending school. And then, you know, as a teenager, he was uh, going to relatives house from different relatives house, trying to, you know, sort of feed himself with you know, the, what the relative would provide for him at the time, food is scarce for everybody. So, and then he's always very afraid um, throughout, you know, his, uh, until he left China around 40 years old, he's always afraid because he's cast into this black category. He may, you know, any political movement, which were many in China at that time, will pull him into it and then we will, you know, suffer further. So, you know, and then being categorized into the black category, you know, tells, uh, you know, restricts uh, what kind of school you can go to what kind of universities you may attend and all kind of job that the government assigned to you. And they actually essentially kept, kept it what, what, what you possibly can, can promote it into. So it's a tough experience, especially on my father, I think. Yeah. How much do you think growing up under Mao, um, uh, how much do you think you were impacted by your parents um, having a Mao-like regime? You talk about the relationship that you have with them. Um, that constant downward pressure um, coming from a very top-heavy government, do you think that impacts, because you suddenly like how you were parented, you talk about how other kids were allegedly parented as well. Do you think that's part of the totalitarian communist kind of system? I think actually, uh, at the time, I don't understand, you know, oh, my parents actually was, you know, given the job by the state because of, you know, their caste. And also, I didn't, I wasn't aware of, you know, how, how they're being treated in the society at large. Uh, what I have actually, actually left a uh, lasting mark on me. And it's one of the reasons actually, today, I, you know, I, pop, I come out and publish this book. Is when I was a child in, a, you know, at a, in the 70s, uh, growing up in Shanghai, we were indoctrinated. We were indoctrinated very early on, you know, we were feeded with those uh, comic books. We we're talking about how the communists defeated nationalists uh, overtaking China. Actually, there's a lot of uh, uh, books uh, that are talking about uh, the communists uh, fighting the Americans in the Korean War. I still remember this, this, um, uh, 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 this uh, actually it was built up as a national hero, how he uh, throw himself in front of the machine guns uh, in a Korean war with American as to, in order to blow them up with a grenade. So it's like the message was, uh, you sacrifice yourself for the state, you sacrifice yourself for the quote unquote greater good. And, and then they actually have a lasting impression on me because I, I do think what I'm doing is sacrificing myself for the greater good. And I'm willing to do it because part of it, ironically, is what the communists gave me. What was it like when Mao died? What was it like? When Mao died. It was funny. I mean, I remember that I was, uh, I was a kid, you know, in a primary school, very young. I think Mao died. I was probably eight. And, you know, I don't understand anything. You know, like Paramount leader died. 
And then we were sitting there listening to the national broadcast over the radio. And uh, the teacher, you know, who was in front of class, started crying. We kids don't know anything. The teacher cried, crying, seems like very touching and moving. And the whole damn class was, was start crying and together with her. Right. And, you know, that was then. And then, and then we go out and play, right? I mean, you know, we're kids, eight, eight years old. And I was, you know, I, I remember, and I wrote about in an episode, uh, that episode in the book, you know, I went out play and I was uh, recommended by the teachers, like, you shall now play, you shall now be loud, and you shall now have laughter, uh, uh, you know, because Mao has died. And it's like, oh, well, I remember that episode. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because... Um, you know, in the U.S. in my lifetime, we haven't had a president die. So thinking about, uh, or at least an active president die. So thinking about yeah. what that would feel like as a young kid. Um, but but the magnitude of Mao was so different that even at a young age, he had to have a a large presence. And so I'm sure it kind of, even though you might not have understood what was going on, you know, your parents and and, and do you say the right thing, the wrong thing? Probably a lot of tension there after his death as well. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. So you you you. you you, you, so you kind of move around uh, as you grow up. You, you mentioned Shanghai. You moved down to Hong Kong. Um, maybe break down real quick for people who aren't familiar with the difference back then between mainland China and Hong Kong. Um, it was a, very much a culture shock from a language standpoint for you, but also from a just economic standpoint. Oh, on, on, on everything. I mean, I left Hong Kong. I left Shanghai when I was ten. I my parents didn't even tell me, you know, I was moving, like permanent leaving Shanghai. They were like, oh, you were going on a trip, you know, with us to this place called Hong Kong. So I was uh, the first time for me to get our airplane to get to, you know, to fly to the border of uh, Hong Kong and China. And I remember I had my first Coke, you know, uh, or, you know crossing before crossing the border into uh, Hong Kong. And at the time, I still remember, it's like, Damn, I never taste something like this before. I said, this is so bad. You know, what the heck they're selling this for money? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yes. And then, you know, my, my, my mom crossed the border with something like $2 US in her pocket. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we went to join the relatives there. You know, we were, I remember it was uh, one, two, three, four, you know, eventually it was eight people living in a 700 square feet apartment. Um, it was a... Uh, it was tough. You know, looking back, we say it's tough. But as a kid, you know, you're like, okay, this is life. You know, you, 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 you lower, you are lower along with it. But I, you know, I didn't thought it was tough at the time. It just that's just life, right? So. Yeah. Did, did you find it a reprieve to kind of get away from your dad? I think you were away from him for a year or two. Um, what was that experience like? Because those are influential years for a young man. A relief. Uh, definitely relief. I mean, you know, as I told in the book, I mean, my, my, my dad, I think, I don't think he consciously took it out on me, but I think subconsciously he faced so much pressure in a society in China that, you know, he had, he's, I was, uh, that's my interpretation, uh, he subconsciously took it out on me and then took it out hard on me. Yeah. And your dad has when a nice... Sorry. Yeah, so your dad has a nice, um, at least financial redemption story. It seems like later on in life, he was very, very successful and was able to kind of um, um, get past some of those skeletons in the closet with Tyson, some of, the, some of the land deals he did. So did that change his temperament later on in life? Well, I mean, um, I don't know about that. I mean, but, but you know, with now living with eight people, you, you, don't, you don't beat up your kids uh, in open, you know, like that, right? And right. I was getting big. 
bigger. <laughs> yeah, and for for those who don't know, you're six five, I believe, right? Yeah, I'm six five, two hundred thirty pounds. Right, and so in China, and so in the U.S., that stands out. In China, that really stands out. And so I think the average height there is what five seven, something like that. Yeah, I'm like head and shoulder, you know, taller than my peers from like early age. Yeah, and so you, you, you as you're growing up, you start swimming, and it's interesting. I don't, I don't know a lot about swimming. I know how to swim, but, but competitive swimming, I don't know a lot about it. Um, I've heard like Michael Phelps talk about it, or some of the Olympic athletes talk about it, and the dedication that they have to kind of put into it to be, to be good. It seems like you kind of flirted with the dedication, but also were slacking off. But it also kind of formed you as you were growing up to maybe learn some responsibilities that you were able to um, capitalize on later in life. Yeah, I, 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 you know, a couple of things. I mean, uh, it's interesting. Is the first thing how I get into swimming. I get into swimming not because of my interest. Like you know, in the states, it's like you know, you 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 dive into the pool. You like the you know, you like the activity, and eventually become a swimmer because you like it, right? In communist China, I was, you know, I was six years old and I'll get selected because I'm like taller than the rest. And, you know, some coach coming to my primary school and then, you know, sort of measure you up. Right. You know, and then they say, oh, you you are good for swimming. You are good for dancing. And then you just like, you know, throw into the squat. And then so I start training very early on since six years old. I swim one to two hours every day when, I, you know, since six years old. And um, and, and the swimming, you know, the looking back there's a swimming what it gave me is um uh tenacity mm. you know I, i'm willing uh you know you know as i you know talk about in the book i mean you know you you get to train one or two hours a day like you know every day and then you know some of the days you just low energy you just don't have the energy to 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 you know to to really pick it up and then but you know swimming pool you know people doing laps you know you know the moment you're slowing down your mates are like touching your feet it's like hey man you're blocking the lane you know go faster don't block me and you so you, you have to push yourself right and also and then and I eventually get out of the pool you know at the end of the training so it's just uh my 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 so the morale of um my takeaway was um you know eventually you get out of the pool you will survive it and, and then that is the, my that is what you know that that's a lesson that that you know i took it away from my swimming days yeah yeah, I would say there's there's two things there. One, you talk about getting at the pool, and I think that's in, in just in business and life that we sometimes kind of project this never-ending thing, and that's just not how it works. There will be an end point. It might be a bad end point. <laughs> you might have to crawl at the pool. You might be hurting, um, but you will something will end, and so you, you can start over. Um, and tenacity. That that's I use that word in business to. Um, I'm talking like young salespeople, they're, they're really struggling. I'm like, you got to have tenacity. And it doesn't mean you're going yeah. crazy like the Tasmanian devil. It means that you have to be persistent. You have to go be above and beyond. And so many people, right. it seems like they want to succeed in life and business, and they just don't have that extra just tenacity to go after it. Right. And then, yeah, yeah, I'm completely agree with you. And then the other thing I, I, I sort of adopted for my life is I, I, I got a saying somewhere, you know, in a book somewhere. It's, he said that how you judge a person's life is not where you start in life and it's not where you end in life. It's a distance you travel in between. Mm. And I, that's a saying I, I really adopt to my life. It's, you know, you, and you think about it, what's the longest distance you can, you can, um, you can have in between the two points? It's a lot of up and downs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. that enriches your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have to survive the downs. 
Mm-hmm. But you know that's a you know human experience uh, you know of our life experience. It, it's just it's a journey. Mm-hmm. You know the more you can see and the more you have you can possibly do along the journey is the best it is. It's not a one way you know one way street up. You know everybody is a lot of people I think look for it is like strict line up right. I mean mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. the best way to go. That is not the best way to go. <laughs> Rich, you know live an enriched life. Yeah. So. Um... You come to the U.S. We talked about this a minute ago. Come to the Big Ten. You go swim for Wisconsin. You're in the U.S. Um, obviously, that's a different culture as well. So you you kind of have a couple of different cultural moments growing up, and I think that's also important to point out is that you know sometimes people they live in one area and it's not a detriment to them, but it just shapes how they view the world. You had mainland China, which is going to be under Mao until you're eight. Uh, you leave at ten, uh, then you go to Hong Kong. Um, you're kind of uh, the lower class citizen, if you will, there you're struggling, but it's a different environment, different language. And then you come to the U.S. and Wisconsin, which is, you know, <laughs> kind of a different culture from where I'm at. And you want to go to California, which is not which is a different culture altogether. So going from place to place, um, meeting different people, hearing different perspectives. I always tell people international travel is, the, is my favorite thing to do. It's mainly because I get to hear people say stuff. I'm like, oh, huh, that's how you view the world. And so how much before we get to the business stuff? How much do you think that really helped you understand different ways to view things um, from different perspectives? Yeah, I, I, it really, I mean, it, it, it made me what, what I am, right? I mean, I, you know, those kind of complexity of uh, uh, you need to deal with every time you, you, you move into a new environment, it, it enriches you and it, it enhances your tenacity and enhances your adaptability. And then you have to adapt to a new environment, new language, new everything, right? And I've done it multiple times. So happened, not by choosing sometimes. Uh, uh, and 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 then it, it, it enables me to adapt to different situation. And uh, you know, I you know nowadays, you know, I really, I'm, you know, my 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 wife have you know have a saying that uh, whatever your heart is, is your home. Mm. So you know, you know, it's hard for me. You know, I uh, today I'm probably you know not after this book come out. I would never go back to China. I would never dare go back to communist China. And obviously, Hong Kong nowadays untouchables for me too, and that's very, very sad. Uh, but you know, wherever my heart is, it's my home. You know. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. I don't think people realize that um, from the CCP standpoint, um, if you criticize them outside of their borders, um, you could be guilty of a crime. Me. I can be guilty, and you. Um, and it's really weird because I'm not a Chinese citizen, obviously. <laughs> but I'm under the new security laws, I'm they actually would, guilty. They still charge you as guilty. Yes, still charge you. So this conversation, which I'm in Texas and you're uh, across the pond there, uh, you know, it, we're, we're, we we could both be guilty um, by the CCP standpoint. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And so um, I do want to get to the CCP influence in a second, but let's talk about the business stuff because you kind of you kind of struggle. It seems like kind of getting your 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 gears aligned. Early in your career, you're trying to figure out what to do. Um, things aren't necessarily working out like they they you, you'd hope for. Um, I, I, I was curious reading this because in the U.S. it's the land of opportunity, right? Everything's open. Did you doubt that maybe China wasn't the right spot for your career long term early on? Did you th- did you maybe think, okay, I need to go to the West to be successful? No, 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 no. I mean, when I well, first of all, let me look at it. When I was, uh, I you know, when I was in college, I was already determined I'm gonna go back to China to to try my you know to try my uh, luck with the, my career, 
because I, you know, I, my parents, you know, my parents have, you know, their uh, friends are all like entrepreneurs with a small business. And I've been, you know, since a teenager, I've been sitting in their dinners and lunch and listening into their stories and I'm fascinated by it. I still remember, you know, at that time, you, you need to like go to page eight or page seven and 10 to find a story about China on Wall Street Journal, you know, when I was in a library in Wisconsin. Obviously today you can front page all the time. But, but when, you know, and the other thing is that when I first started Korea, I was actually doing, I would say actually doing rather well. Um, because I was, uh, I was working for an American firm in a private equity. And then I was the first batch of uh, private equity people in China. And, um, um, you know, at the time, you can count by a single hand how many firms are active uh, in the greater China region doing private equity. So, you know, I, I maybe I think I, I, in the book I mentioned that the firm, you know, bring Domino Pizza to China. We bring Hanukkah beer to China. We brought TDI Friday to China. You know, those early days of China, you know. Um, so I was doing, I think I was doing rather well. Um, uh, 1997, I was probably five years in the firm, five years in the firm, four or five years in the firm. You know, they, they promote me to be, uh, they call it the chief rep. Uh, it's basically I run there, as I was sent to Beijing to run their office in Shanghai and Beijing. Um, and so I think earlier in our career, I was doing rather well. Yeah. Well, didn't you have a spot to where you were working for a private equity group that, that you, uh, doing some yeah. trading that you struggled with? Uh, actually the, the, the time I was struggled with, uh, was, uh, when I first uh, left the private equity firm. Yeah. So, okay. so our year 2000, I, I decided to, okay. to try my luck with entrepreneur rank uh, because I, you know, I was looking, I mean, I was, you know, I have coffee with Jack Ma, I think uh, I talk about in the book, I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, first time he came out to raise money, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> that's how early I was in, a, in, a, in this business. And um, I was, you know, I, I really feel like I'm standing by the riverbank and seeing the rapid rushing me by, the water rushing me by, and the throw is so strong. And I was like, "Hey, man, I gotta jump in, man. I gotta jump in and see where the where the frog gonna carry me. It's better that than than standing by by the riverbank." So I, I, you know, I about year two thousand, I said, "Well, yeah, the heck of it. I'm 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 leaving this firm, you know, despite I was doing rather well." And um, and I, I just joined the entrepreneur rank, you know, start uh, I joined a tech company as a senior management, and then I uh, was trying my luck. But that 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 the first one didn't pan out that as planned. <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 part of the process, isn't it? Right? Yeah, every, yeah, yeah, like yeah. every entrepreneur's got a, a few failed businesses yeah. in their in their closet, so that's just normal. Yeah, um, that's initiation. Yeah, so things really seem to take off when you meet your, which would be your your future wife. That's where it seems like you kind of have you have an interesting relationship, and I want to unpack that for a second there because um, you talk about her. Um, and you, you kind of contrast how women normally would be perceived in the business world in China and how she was able to overcome that. Again, from the Western audience here, um, kind of how did you run into your wife, uh, A? But then how are women treated or were they treated at least back then in business? And what was so unique about her that she was able to, to circumvent that? We ran into a... a um, because I was doing a tech firm at the time, um, and then she was uh, also doing a tech firm at the time. 
So we were talking about merging the firm, two firms because with the firm I was uh, I was uh, doing was uh, as a software focus, and then her firm is more hardware sales so focus. So we say, well, okay, maybe that's a, that's a, you know a, a combination that if we put other two and two together, we you know it's better for both of us. So that's how we you know we we met. We're talking about M and A there right there. And eventually, the MA of the business didn't happen, but the MA between the two of us happened. So, so that was that. And um, she, in her case, is um, I think she's extremely good at uh, human relationship management in the China uh, party state uh, environment. Uh, she just really, you know, and I mean, I truly believe at one stage I was thinking, like, damn, this is, I was telling my friends, I was like, this. This woman's got to be the best networker in the whole damn Beijing, and then that's a huge statement, right? I mean, Beijing is the capital of China. It's all about political power, and it's, the country is all about political power. And to be able to network and then you know build those web of uh, complex web of human relationship, it's a skill like no other. And so you talk about you say that you know she was a great networker, and so the immediate thing that people are going to say is, well, okay, it's China, it's corrupt. Um, obviously, there's under the table bribes or stuff going on um, that, that seemed to be something that she tried to push back on, at least from from her perception. Um, how are you able to to navigate something like that in 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 China without getting your feet dirty? I think first thing first. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, corruption, rampant corruption. It's one thing. I mean, it, we are talking about a human society, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you still have to connect with uh, with uh, on a human on human basis. This is right. a human society. It's not just you know, everything is based on money, right? Right. I mean, effectively, actually, to the, the best networker are not the ones who use money. The 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 one use money. It's uh, just it, that's not a networker, right? That's just, that's a buyer, mm. right? Mm -hmm. If you, it's it's only when you can truly build human to human relationship, disregarding material things, that's when you have a true bonding. If mm -hmm. you are just bidding on the price, you know that's not networking. That's not not a networker. That's a buyer bidding on the price. You know that that guy pays a million. Hey, I am going to pay you a million and a half. You have no relationship with that person other than number. Mm -hmm. So so so. To start off, and even even you start off for, with a monetary relationship, you always want to try to turn that relationship into a human to human relationship. That's the that's a successful networker. I mean that, and that's globally true anyway, right? So, what do you think went wrong then? Obviously, we we kind of let's, let's go back to where we started at, which is she. It's just one day, boom, she's kidnapped, she disappears. Um, you guys, you you go through and link to the book. Um, um, you know, kind of how you were growing your business and the kind of the, the ebbs and flows and all the, the local people in the tenant houses and all the problems with that. But but from the networking perspective, is is, is it just that the CCP has too much power and it overcomes that stuff? What, what went wrong? I think the first thing is, I mean, I, I, I chronicle my and essentially the book is my memoir. So it's I chronicle mm -hmm. my entire life, you know, mm -hmm. and then what I want to do is. I don't make accusation of any sort in a, in a, in a book. Mm -hmm. I want to, from episode to episode to episode of my experience, you know, what I see, what I did, how do I interact with whom? And it's from that I want the reader to get to, okay, 
their judgment of how things work, their judgment of oh, how networking actually works in China, their judgment of who that person really is. That's what I want to do. Okay. So that's a, that's a starting point. And then in terms of what went wrong in, in, in her case, um, I mean, as you can see from the book, I mean, we associate with the highest level of political community in China, right? We're dealing with, you know, the family of the premier, we're dealing with ministers, we're dealing, we're dealing with, you know, the top epsilon of the political power. And then in China, it's all about political power. Money counts for nothing, right? That's 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 uh, that's why you know a person like Jack Ma, you know, richest person in China, get silenced, right? And 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 then if you look back to in, into history, um, none I would say probably none richest person uh, has ended up well in China, because there's no private property protection, and uh, money counts for nothing in a in a in a power uh, in a in an eye of a political power. It's like, yeah, I silence you, I dispatch you, I um, get rid of you. So what? I can pop up another entrepreneur to replace you. I can have a Jack Lee tomorrow, Peter Ma tomorrow to be the richest guy running the biggest enterprise in China. That's the way they look at it because, you know, there's more private protection and there's new court, new course of judiciary justice. Uh, in terms of her particular case, I mean, we divorced, uh, you know, a few years before her disappearance. So I, I, I don't know the precise reason of why she was disappeared. I asked her, I mean, on the first phone call we had, I asked her, you know, what's your charge? You have been taken for four years into a dark cell. And, you know, I'm sure her, her line was taped, uh, untapped and you know, if not somebody sitting right across from her, you know, she said her charge need to be confidential. She cannot disclose what her charge is. So, so I don't know from precisely why she was taken, but given my, you know, given our previous shared experience and um, the situation of China, uh, to my understanding, it is because mostly because it's political related. You associate you associate with the wrong crowd, um, learning of the events, the paramount leadership doesn't want you to know, and then you become a nuisance. And then they say, "Well, we will get rid of you." But then it is not a crime to be associated with certain people, and it's not a crime to know certain things. So they just, well, you know, we we don't even bother to charge you; just throw into that cell. So, you know, I believe without my book coming out to the world and putting a spotlight on the situation, they wouldn't even let her out on temporary release. Think of it. My book's supposed to come on Tuesday. The new story book on, uh, you know, telling them spotlight is on the situation on Friday. And she appeared on Saturday telling me to cancel the book launch. That's, uh, that's no such coincidence in the world, is it? Right. So, so someone might hear this and go, okay. Didn't you know this was coming? Like, didn't you guys, you you, you know, how, you know, so we're, we're reading the memoir and we go, okay, but guys, like when the Jack Ball thing happened last year, I was like, yeah, of course that, that happened. Stuff like this happened. So, so you feel bad that it happens. Obviously, there's like a child involved and human, so you feel bad. But also, didn't you see this coming? Didn't you know that you're going to fly too close to the sun? Um. Yes and no. Right. I mean, I in you know, as I 
you know, chronicle in the book, I think China start to change after the financial crisis. I mean, you know, I believe the entire system, in, I mean, uh, including the top epsilon of the leadership in China, believe we, you know, we want to be like the West. You know, we are going to be more democratic. We're going to be more liberal. We're going to have more freedom. And, and then China was moving in that direction. And the, 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 the debating point was, uh, the debate was about at what pace uh, should we go about that? I, but financial crisis really changed uh, perspective at the leadership level. Uh, they all of a sudden thinking, hey, man, look at how the West is crumbling. Maybe their model is not that great. Look at us. You know, Asia will have crashed. If not, China hold up their currency and then and, and didn't depreciate the currency and and then and, and then held up uh, and then sort of being the being the the den stopping the the front, uh the avalanche uh and and then they say well maybe our model is not that bad and everything just just start to change after that um so so you know xi jinping what xi jinping is doing is quickening the, the pace but this thing doesn't start with him that's one point the second point I want, really want to emphasize, and, and I want, I hope the 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 lead, um, the readers get it out of on the book, is he is able to do what he's able to do today. You know, in terms of scaling back all the freedoms, in terms of arresting all the human rights activists, in terms of uh, being, you know, change the constitution at will and make himself the paramount leader for life. You know, and also in that. that the joke is, uh, you know, last two weeks, uh, legislating the entertainment industry not to be too overly entertaining, right? If that's such a legislation, it's because the China is a Leninist party state. Right. It is that structure which was built in, has been around for 70 years, allow what, the, what, ha what is happening to happen. So there is a structure issue. This is not just about Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping is is uh, is uh, um, enabled by the building structure. So you, you talked about Xi Jinping in, in the book, you mentioned the, the financial crisis um, and, and a lot of people kind of point to Xi Jinping's appointment as the shift and you do predate it there a, a little bit before. Um, and I maybe I don't know, I'm, the, I'm in the minority here, but I do believe it feels like China was heading towards a more liberalized system, not going to be like the U.S., but more, but they were slowly heading that way. Um, and my read today, and this is just my opinion, is that they are concerned, like, with the Hong Kong protests were going on, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're more or less concerned about what's being said. Like, more, that's really more or less what's being said. They don't want the ideas getting out there. And, and so they, they have a very, they're, they're trying to control um, speech, you know, ideas. And, and so those are the things that they feel very much threatened by, um, at least that's my outsider's perspective. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, it's that is definitely part of it. I mean, that's definitely part of it. I mean, what it is, I mean, I, you know, a lot of people, you know, love saying that, uh, um, you know, uh, I mean, the political leader, right? I mean, they're advocating that, uh, you know, we're going to cooperate with China where we, we can all cooperate. We're going to uh, face them up straight up uh, when we need to be stand strong and, you know, that's that's a joke because china sees uh us and the western model as a sworn enemy reason being 
they have I mean, 70 years of Chinese uh, Communist Party rule. We never have a real election, right? And they know deep down in a very conscious way, their power is illegitimate. That's why within their own society, they want to crash all possible dissent. You know, the internet is blocked. Like even the term universal value is unsearchable in China, in China. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, if human rights activists get arrested and, you know, they want to control the storyline. That's why my, my book is so damning because it broke the storyline. I'm telling a different story. I'm revealing truth. They would never want you to know. And, and obviously I, <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to pay a price for it. And I'm, um, but, uh, that's, uh, but, but it's that deep paranoia is that's what bringing them to confront the world, you know, until the world is put under their, they have the world under their thumb, they're not going to back off because that's a, that's a potential threat to the, you know, to their, to their, to their, um, to their ruling. I mean, and, and they intend to hold on to power in China forever. Right. Why are they so eager to crush Taiwan? You know, because they keep saying, you know, oh, cultural differences. You know, we Chinese don't really need democracy. We have 3000 years history. That's why we have cultural differences. Uh, democracy doesn't work in the model. But Taiwan proved differently. Hong Kong has proven differently. Right. And then they so they, they, they crushed the Hong Kong. They are on to Taiwan because they're going to wipe out any possible dissent. And then in Hong Kong is a living example of where Chinese culture can be differently operating and very, very successful. And Taiwan, the same case. Those are the immediate doorstep. They crush that. They, you know, it's coming for you. You've been around a lot of high-ranking CCP officials. Um, I always joke that if you follow the CCP on, on Twitter, you know, the, the, the propaganda is unbelievable. It's on point. It's the same message over and over again. And you have to be careful because if you forget, you will interpret that as the truth, right? You'll say, oh, this is what China says. Therefore, that's what they believe. Someone who's an insider, mm -hmm. how do you dissect the news, the official state news? How do you read it? How can you tell when they're bluffing, when they're being honest, when they're being deceptive? Um, how, how do you discern that? Uh, the first thing we do is, uh, you know, I, I, you know, just give example. Like, so, so in, you know, I, in a book, I chronicle how I build the biggest airport logistic uh, project in China, right? So it's probably one of the biggest one in, uh, in the world. And because I'm doing such an infrastructure and a government related project, I always need to pay attention to the, the, the political win. And the wing of, uh, so, so like when you know, like a paramount leader, you know, give out statements, what they are giving is indications where things going to turn, possibly turn. And then the entire bureaucracy is doing the same thing I was doing is that they're trying to read into the statements and, uh, and the policies and say, well, where is the, you know, what's, what's his preference, how it's going to turn. And then we crowd ourselves rush to the to proof ourselves that well you know we are following the way you know the, the flag you know the flag is going west we are all going west and then we're gonna you know write up all kind of reports to prove and you know we are we are we are going the direction of the flag so that is a lot of that and then in terms of uh, uh propaganda the the speech to the outside it's uh it's very different i mean the chinese is uh they have a facade right it's a very facade very much a facade. So you got a lot of like, you know, people who came to China, they said, oh, you know, 
I am uh, I know that you know who and who very very well it's like you know if you read a book you can see the officials how they behave with us it's none of the 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 you know none of the story you heard from any westerners right because in just I, I give example right I mean the moment you go into a dining room with a Chinese official how you enter the room where do you put where you rich table uh, rich seat of the table are you going to take because that's uh, there is like very specific uh, 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 seating arrangement. Uh, everybody know in, immediately where they sit based on the ranking of the political power. And then there are other subtleties related to it. But, but everybody within their system knows very well where they should, should be sitting. If you're not, you, you don't know that. And then when you knock glass, wine glasses, how you knock the wine glasses? You know, because the junior official or somebody who is more junior, they keep lowering the glass so that the, the glasses, when they when you knock, the higher guy, the higher ranking guy will hold it up high. The the, the lower ranking guy will knock it down. And they do, and sometimes they just want to be um, uh, uh, show humility, uh, humility. So they keep lowering the glass until almost the glass goes to the floor. And two of guy, two of them uh, cannot lower it anymore. They lock the glasses on the floor, something like that. But but so so there there a lot of subtlety in human interaction, and through those same subtlety. We immediately on the inside immediately know how much you know the game. Are you one of us? And the moment we know you are noticed, you're not one of us. We talk a completely different language. We share completely different information. So it is. A, it's a. It's a. It's a. It's a very different situation in China. You know, it's a. It's a. Everything is in, in, especially in Beijing. It is very politically uh, centric. Everything is you know behind doors. You know. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, you, I, you know, I have one story in a in a in a in a book. This um, uh, huge hotel, Beijing Hotel, one of the uh, biggest hotel in Beijing. Uh, they have an entire floor of private rooms, and then senior minister. It's because the hotel is right next to Tiananmen Square. So it's very convenient for all these uh, senior officials to gather. But then they manage in such a way. That nobody run into each other. So, so the, all private rooms has their own um, toilets, and uh, so they don't need to go out of the room whatsoever. And then the service people make sure, like you know, one 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 room is leaving, they will slow down the the dishes, to bring the check later, and all that. Just make sure you stay in the room until the other room already left. Then you know, get into the car and then speed away already. Then they let you out of the room. I mean, there are, you know, there's such privacy because why? Because there is everything is behind the facades, everything is behind curtain, everything is behind closed doors. And I'm, well, I'm telling you, my book is blowing that open. <laughs> well, what did you expect the CCP's reaction to be? Well, it's quite a reaction, right? You despite my my ex for four years, and then the second day, major spotlights on the on her case. They let her out to call me to cancel the book launch, right? <laughs> have you heard from any CCP officials praising you for releasing the book? I have a uh, no, no. I mean, actually, I intentionally cut all my uh, interaction uh, because I uh, with them because I don't want to. I don't want to jeopardize any of them safety. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, I'm I'm a. I'm a dangerous person now. I mean, you know, association with me uh, is dangerous. 
So I intentionally cut all those contact with them in the last few months, yeah, yeah, preparing for the book book's launch. Um, but I heard it from different people. They're pairing, you know, they're saying, "Oh man, what a brave man telling a true story." Are you worried about your safety? Yeah, for sure. What about your sons? For sure. I mean, this is this is no joke, man. You know, I always say, you know, not always say, man. I thought about it, and I think, you know, I said, well, if you, you know, you can take a woman and throw into that cell for four years. I mean, she she tell her tell me herself in the first call, she have no outside news over the last four years. She doesn't know her mom passed away in June. She doesn't know a pandemic is going on around the world for two years now. I mean, that's a that's a party state that's capable of all evils. So, when I think about your story, or I'm thinking about the Jack Maul story last year. He went off the grid, whatever that means. You know, last year there's all kinds of speculation about. Do, what, do you know where he was last year? <laughs> do you know? Do I know where he was last yeah. year? Mm -hmm. No, I haven't been to China okay. since my. Um, Okay. But, but but you know he was gone and people started speculating. And one of the things that was talked about was how hard it is to get your money out of China when you're leaving. They have a a very tight grip on the banking system. I know some expats who've worked there who still have money in China that they can't get out. Yeah. How were you able to navigate those streams as you were making your exit? Things really change. In uh, I mean, I you know the, one of the reason you know I, I you know I detail in the book is uh, you know I have divorce and I have fights with my ex. Is we see them different path of China. You know, I was like I was like this is not going to go well. I mean, let's let's move our money out and invest internationally, diversify our our portfolio. And she believes in China is going to go strong still, and uh, uh, we should concentrate our bets in China. You know, so so we have very different view of where China is going. And and uh, and then I think in the last few years, uh, especially I think starting about you know I left about 2015, and then just around that time, the the they really tightening the tightening the grips uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting money move around. And nowadays, you know, for for ten thousand dollar U.S. bank transfer between any entity, uh, the bank need to uh, have a record of it. And then now introduce a digital currency. A lot of everything in China now is, is being done online. That's makes all the money traceable. And and once they have that in place, that's when they really crack down on the private entrepreneurs because hey, you have no escape route. Right. Okay. What would you say to someone right now who is for some reason outside of mainland China, um, average citizen, um, and they're they're trying to determine: Do I go back or not? Do I go back to China? Is it worth the risk? Is it a safe place to go? Um, what would your advice to them be? Are you talking about Chinese citizens? Yes, or Chinese citizen who who's happens to be outside of the mainland at this moment, and they're trying to they're, they're, they're thinking, should I go back or not? Well, first of all, you're not allowed back at this moment. And China is in lockdown. Right, they're locked down. Right. But they're going to open back up at some point, you, you'd assume. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's another thing, but uh, yeah, but at the moment you, you can't even go back, right? Right. So if you're thinking if you're thinking about it, and futuristically, would you plan on going back? If not, not you obviously, but would you advise people to go back, or would you say no, you're out, stay out? Hmm. 
I think the first thing it's very, very important. I mean, I talk to some of the young kids who are, you know, who are going to school here and then thinking about are they staying, are they going back? It's get the real news. Many of them are stuck on this WeChat. You know, it's uh, this uh, Chinese, uh, the, the yeah. ever-present communication app. And they get the news from that. And it's all fake news. Right. And and it's a CCP director news stories. And it's get your news and get your analysis and read the situation. Get the real read of the real situation. Then you make your calls, right? But first of all, they a lot of them just they believe whatever they read on the WeChat and they don't read any other source. And that's, that's uh, dangerous. Yeah, the WeChat phenomenon is is quite dangerous. I know some folks who they're, I don't know if concern is the right word, but they're, they're troubled by their friends or family or relatives. And then they just, they can't break loose of the WeChat. And it, it, it's so, it's so weird for someone like myself on this podcast. Um, you know, we have on people, we're willing to have on all perspectives. We want to have a long form conversation. We try to be friendly, try to have a discussion, um, you know, try to ask some good questions and, and go through it. But that's not allowed in China. So it's not that on this show, we're necessarily saying this is the truth or not. We're just trying to talk about perspectives. Um, and when you're being funneled one perspective only, and you can't deviate outside of that, um, the psychological impact, it can be damaging. Yes, I completely, completely agree with you. And then the other issue is it's very difficult to have a rational conversation with those people, you know, mm. and that's, and I'm talking about like almost entire nation. Uh, it's because you know you, you only you know you and I can have a have a have a rational conversation because we look at many different perspectives, and we 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 have a general understanding of facts, and then we then then we have, but on the same set of facts, we have different perspective, right? right? And then we can you know debate, we can argue, and we can share. But with the mainland Chinese, they only know one set of facts feed by the CCP, right? And then, you know, like just a general you know, example, oh, you know, we defeated America in the Korean War. Really? It depends how you read it, right? American lost a few thousand, you lost probably a few hundred thousand, right? Right. So what do you mean you defeated? I mean, American, you, you know, does North Korea overrun the South Korea and American help? You know, help them help the, the South Korean to push back out. You know, to the original border. Right. Right. So, so, so they they are feeded with one set of facts, and then it's it's a Communist Party dictator fact. So when you have a discussion with them, your starting point is not my perspective, your perspective. It's because it's we have different facts. Mm -hmm. We need to go back and straighten out what is true first. Mm. Before we can share perspective and debate perspective, and that becomes uh, impossible because we're not talking about you know facts like last week happened. They got they got indoctrinated one set of facts over their entire life. Where do I start? When when I have a right. discussion with a person like that, right? Okay, um, just a few minutes left here. Let's talk about the book from the the media publishing standpoint. In the U.S. right now, there's a big debate um, with Hollywood about, you know, the films, what they can produce, the CCP's um, influence on that. Did you find it hard to find a publisher willing to publish your book because of some kind of CCP influence? No, not my book. But I, I have a friend who is uh, in documentary uh, production. Uh, you know, he's one of the better producers in the documentary. 
he was telling me I was having you know lunch with him a few weeks back. He was telling me Apple wouldn't buy any documentary related to China. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And just to give an example, I was stunned. I was like, I mean, obviously, I don't know that business. I was like, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a documentary called, um, I think it's In the Same Breath, and uh, it talks about um, the coronavirus. Um, it documents yeah. kind of, the, it's a, I think it's a Chinese national who's the director. It's a lady, if I remember correctly. And it's supposed to come out, supposed to come out, supposed to come out, and it's never come out. So, um, so you haven't had any problems with book publishing or media events or stuff because it's always kind of hard to decipher how much is is that is that you know the ccp narrative um the fear-mongering versus you know the ccp is really influencing the media in hollywood in the u.s yeah yeah I, in, in, my, in the case of my book i haven't really i haven't really uh, uh encountered that well that's good to hear that's good to hear okay um so the book is again red roulette we'll link to that in the show notes um We'll follow your story, of course. Um, hopefully, your wife will be released. I don't. I don't know how you even put that in odds because it's it's so hard to know how the CCP will respond, how they will react. Um, and and I guess I think I asked you at the beginning. You are convinced it was her. So that's kind of voice alteration computer thing. Like you were convinced it's her, right? Yeah. Um, and so hopefully they'll they'll let her they'll let her out and release her back into I guess mainland. They won't let her go outside of China, obviously. Um, okay. She, she's not gonna they're not gonna let go to china because what if you come out and say tell the truth like wow well, what i did Woo. <laughs> well thank you for your time and for uh getting this done and um we'll be following the story in the future well thanks for having me great to talking to you